The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast, our weekly look at the college basketball scene uh, in Rhode Island and around the country. I'm Kevin McNamara. At the Journal, uh, along with Bill Koch, fresh off his trip on beautiful Amtrak. Bill, how was Amtrak service to Philadelphia the last two days? Smooth and on time, and uh, the wireless internet was actually coming in pretty strong. So, realistically, we couldn't ask for much more. Perfect. Uh, the internet on the... Uh, I know that you're not a uh, a seller no. guy. No. Uh, you know, here at the Journal, we, we, we watch our pennies and... Uh, I actually prefer the, the, quote, slow train over the Acela. I don't yeah. know about you, but uh, there's more room to spread out. Well, in terms of convenience, it's free parking in Kingston. Yeah. Um, generally not that crowded when you're getting on or off. And, yes, it takes a little bit longer. But being on the train, Kevin, as you know, for, for people like you and I who are constantly reading things, trying to write game advances, columns, whatever it is, mm. sort of gives you a an extended chance to collect your thoughts that, Maybe you don't often get around here. All right, so here's the important Amtrak question. Where do you sit? If you had your choice, where do you sit? I would like to sit... Well, obviously, you need to get the two seats for the one person. I mean, that's, that's, that's goes without saying. goes without saying. So uh, how, how do we go about that? Well, I may or may not hide under the hood with my headphones in and uh, okay. you know, maybe not acknowledge folks walking by. The cold shoulder. That. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Um, but I try to sit near the dining car in case I get a little thirsty or you know, want to grab a sandwich or something like that. They, they have pretty good, uh, pretty good lunch fare on Amtrak. Yep. All right. So, so I shouldn't say it because I don't want anyone to copy. I sit in the lunch car. Yeah. It's a good move if you can N- do it. No one will sit next to you. Someone could sit across from you, mm-hmm. which is fine, but talk about plenty of room to open the laptop and and get cracking yeah it's good that's my move that's That's my that's my power move the uh acela doesn't have that car so you don't have the ability to spread out get a plug a plug that you know is going to work right so that's the inside dope uh fans and when you go on a cell when you go on the regional and want to find kevin mack probably in the dining car and if if you're a college basketball fan there are no shortage of reasons to go to Philly, whether it be to watch the Big Five or you know to follow the Rams who play uh, at LaSalle, at St. Joe's, and for all those years played at Temple. Mm. Uh, you know, great college basketball city, great tradition there. Uh, uh, only one trip this year going to St. Joe's. LaSalle comes here, um, but it's definitely one that I circle on my calendar and that I enjoy making. I, I use it more for New York City, both. St. John's and Seton Hall in the Big East Tournament, so it could be as many as three or four times a season, depending on the schedule. But enough Amtrak talk. Uh, we're going to stick with the Rams, who had a uh, eventful 24 hours that Mr. Koch is going to uh, crystallize here for us. But they did come from behind and beat St. Joe's last night at Hagen Arena, 71-61. Uh, but the news was really pregame. I got to the dunk. Uh, Providence was playing St. John's, and someone said, oh, uh, Jeff Doughton's not playing tonight. I'm like, oh, geez, that's too bad he's injured. No, he's suspended by the NCAA. So to go on the road, have Jeff Doughton suspended, 
and you still come from behind and win altogether. Really good night for the Rams. Down by 10 points in the second half uh, early on. You're down 47 to 37. Uh, but from there, really dug in on defense. Uh, really did a good job stifling St. Joe's outside of Ryan Daly. Um, and really, you know, what I liked in the post game was Fats Russell said it very directly. He said, we knew this would be a bad loss. We're playing for something bigger. And to hear URI and their players sort of acknowledge the fact that, yes, they are looking at the NCAA net rankings a little bit, and yes, they would like to play themselves into contention for an at-large berth, that's a nice carrot to have out in front of you. I, I really like that approach. Just if you can add anything extra than uh, what we saw in the journal today on Doughton, uh, please. Uh, just a one-game suspension. Uh, apparently, he played in an unsanctioned charity game over the summer in Massachusetts. Um, there was a, a photograph of, of Doughton and some of the other players in the game that was sent to URI's compliance department. Uh, URI self-reported the violation to the NCAA, and they suggested a one-game ban for Doughton. Uh, generally, as, as Thor Bjorn said, uh, the sanction for such a thing is a one-for-one punishment. Uh, if you play in one game, you're suspended for one game. And so the compliance department got back to URI, and the NCAA got back to URI probably about 90 minutes before the tip uh, on Wednesday night and, and said that Doughton would be serving the suspension. So the final penalty itself doesn't really end up hurting because you won the game, but the timing of it and just the you know the NCAA's process and, and some of their rules in general certainly needs reform. Uh, the fact that, that you're getting a phone call before a real game that close to it uh, and telling you that one of your best players isn't going to be able to play, that, that's just horrendous timing. Well, it's people, and I, I'm not disputing the rule. You know, you, if you don't like the rule, you know, have... Thorbjorn and and the other presidents and athletic directors go to the convention and change the rules. That's role. a separate discussion, yeah. right. That, that, you know, right. It's not the NCA's fault. It's the NCA's fault maybe on how they communicate with the schools and say, well, geez, I know you guys are playing tonight, so make it the next game. Right. You know, not pass the word, you know, maybe the compliance person at URI got the phone call, got the email at 5.15. They call the coaching staff. It's 45 minutes before a game. No, it has to be tonight. You know, it doesn't really matter what game it is. Of course not. Well, the other thing that Thor said, and he made a good point, is if you let Doubt and go play and the NCAA wants to punish you retroactively, you used an ineligible player. Yeah. And then, so yeah. you may as well just establish what game it's going to be. Okay, he's going to be suspended for this one. It's almost like you're suggesting your own penalties and then you're enforcing them. And they say, sure, that sounds good. The good news is uh, it is only one now. I can't spread to a only different one. game. Yep. Only one. Um, so Jeff will be back in the lineup uh, for Rody's home game on Saturday against LaSalle. Um, Rody, uh, after two really important – well, first of all, they've won three games in a row now for the third time this season. Uh, the road win last Saturday at VCU – was a different level win. Their best win of the season, a quad one win that should stand up and remain in quad one uh, the rest of the year. Uh, Bill, you were in Richmond as well. Uh, that was a very different game. Rhode Island grabbed the lead and kind of pushed off uh, a surge by the other Rams down the stretch. Uh, just an impressive victory. Came out really strong, and, and I think Tyrese Martin actually you know, made the observation. He said, this Siegel Center, these fans are tough. It's, it's a really difficult place to come to. You really need to step on the gas and, and get out front, because if you're trying to play from behind them, 
they get that momentum going, they turn you over a couple times and run it out for layups. It, it can feel like you're getting snowed on a little bit. Uh, you know, so URI, that was a really composed performance at VCU. Certainly their best win of the year and, and one that put them right back into the discussion, I think, uh, to try and play themselves into an at-large berth in the NCAA tournament. That's the sort of anchor victory that you need on your schedule, that sort of spotlight win. Uh, that's going to help your metrics and, and draw the attention of the selection committee. Yeah, we've talked about it here on the podcast. Uh, Rhode Island played a very you know demanding non-league schedule, didn't win the games they needed to, were competitive in most, but were didn't win them. So it put an awful lot of pressure on league play and the two uh, dominant programs in the league, uh, Dayton and VCU, are positioned well in the net rankings. Rhode Island has four games against the, uh, the you know those two teams, and you know three out of four would be great. Oh, absolutely! I, I, I think two, two I, I think could be mandatory, uh, and to get one in your back pocket, uh, right out of the shoot at on the road at VCU, is big time. Especially by the way, I saw Dayton the other day. They're really good. Really good. Uh, Dayton is the one team in the A-10 right now who would certainly be in the NCAAs. They're in the top 10 of the net ranking. Uh, they'd be a top three or four seed. Uh, really strong seed. Mm. Uh, the rest, VCU, St. Louis, Duquesne, mm. Richmond, and URI are all between 50 and 63 in the net. So you're going to have that group, as they stand right now, sort of battling it out mm-hmm. You know, for maybe one or two more bids. And Rhode Island plays the others only once, correct? St. Louis, Duquesne, and Richmond. Richmond is a loss. They lost to Richmond. Don't play them again. They have Duquesne at home next Wednesday, and they have St. Louis at home later in the season. St. Louis isn't on the road. No. St. Louis comes here. That's a great opportunity. Uh, All of those games at home uh, will be big uh, for Rhodey, and, and if those teams can stay in that you know forty to seventy range, that they would at least be quad two wins, which uh, at this point are just I shouldn't say just as valuable, but just as vital for sure. The the accumulation would be nice mm-hmm. if you can point and say we have six or seven quad two wins, two. and you know maybe two or three quad one wins. That that accumulation oh. of victories is very nice. Absolutely, um, really dominant second half last night. As as you look at the uh, stats again, Rody down six at the half. Uh, they go out and shoot 56% in the second half with Fats Russell getting 20? 23. 23. Of his 25. Uh, but maybe just as importantly, uh, St. Joe's only shoots 28% in the second half. So really a dominant uh, performance on both sides of the floor. St. Joe's went about seven and a half minutes without scoring a point uh, during one stretch. And you look at Fats Russell, he's 10 for 21 in the game. He was one for eight at the half. Uh, really struggled, only at two points. But as we've seen before, this guy, it does not take very long for him to heat up. And, and when he does, he's incandescent mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of his level out there. Uh, his 22nd point came on a three-pointer. That was his 1,000th of his career, uh, the latest URI player to reach that milestone. And if you project him out, Kevin, over, say, you know, 15, 17, 18 more games this year at least, uh, and then another 30-odd games next year, he averages 15, 17, 18 points in that stretch. He's going to be looking at pushing 1,800, 1,900. 17, 1,800, yeah. He's going to be – he has a chance to be a top-five all-time scorer at Rhode Island hmm. at this pace, which is just incredible to think about. Well, and it's it's really enjoyable for fans to watch because uh, – 
it's funny. People are like, well, you know, he has he's had a couple bad games. Well, yeah, he's had a couple okay games. He hasn't really had many bad games. Even at Brown, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, he wasn't bad. I, I'd say the team played poorly, but he wasn't bad. And he really has had very good games 80% of the time. Yeah, more often than not. Yeah. Uh, you know, if he's not, obviously, Obi Toppin is the number one uh, candidate to be the player of the year in the A-10, and we'll see if anything can change there. But uh, Fats Russell is a first-team all-A-10 player right now and might be the second-best player in the league. No and question. I think that's what Rody needs him to be the rest of the way for for them to play themselves into uh, NCAA contention. No question about it. Couldn't agree more. Uh, just a little on LaSalle this weekend. Um, uh, I believe you said the uh, URI uh, students are not around, so... Uh, great opportunity to go down and get a decent seat at the Ryan Center, and you know, just a game that Rody has to win. Yeah, can't lose it. Uh, it's one that you know would be a bad loss, really bad considering that you're at home. Um, students are not there, but this is part of the preseason five game mini plan. Uh, so you would assume that there's going to be a decent crowd on hand at the Ryan Center. You would hope that you know Rody having won three in a row and, and coming off the win over VCU, uh, you would hope that they built some momentum here, and, and I certainly think that. You know, it's, it is that sort of trap game considering the effort that they needed on Wednesday in the second half and the fact that they have Duquesne coming in here next Wednesday. Duquesne is 5-0 and in the Atlantic 10 uh, and, and a team that you're going to be battling with. So, you know, LaSalle, not the sexiest of matchups, but certainly a, a game where you or I has to take care of business. Is the Duquesne game next week Tuesday or Wednesday? Wednesday night. That's too bad. I'll follow online. Oh, you'll be with the Friars. I'll be uh, at Seton Hall. Very good. Yes. So Wednesday night. Uh, That's a good game. A treat. Miles Powell. Oh, very good game. I, I, I think Seton Hall is a top 10 team. But uh, They had a terrific win last night over Butler on the road. On the road. Really good. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. But... Um, we're going to jump to the Friars right now. Uh, they get they get a lot of work before they have to worry about old Miles. They sure do. Uh, the biggest chunk of work, uh, most important, was last night. Found a way past St. John's, sixty three fifty eight at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about St. John's. Sure. I know that we've beaten up the Johnnies now on the podcast, really since the podcast was uh, born many years ago. Steve Lavin, we might have caught Steve Lavin the last year or two of Lavin. And, we, but we, but we certainly, had... I know you, you, you were a frequent basher of uh, all-time great Chris Mullins' St. John's teams. Uh, me? I think you're projecting onto me, sir. I, I think well, that might have been you as well. I, we weren't alone. Uh, St. John's uh, uh, is always seems to be a... a uh, it's an interesting program. Uh, they always have some interesting characters. It's a very diplomatic way of putting it. Uh, they are New York through and through. Yes, they are. And they came in last night with a very different feel, I thought. I'm a Mike Anderson fan. Hey, how could you not be? He's yeah. an excellent coach. A really good coach. 17 years uh, as a head coach, never had a losing season. Yeah. A- at real places. UAB, Missouri, and obviously Arkansas. Um, and then when he was hired at St. John's, people were like, well, what do you mean? There's no New York ties. Right here with your New York ties. Right, right. Just give me a good coach. And Mike Anderson is a good coach. Um, not necessarily, this is not a watchable team, this St. John's team. It, it's not the team that he would have recruited no. to play his style. But they're playing his style. Uh, they really get after you defensively. 
um, they, they they don't necessarily want to run and gun, but defensively they want to really work at it, and they did a good job. They held Providence to 35%. Uh, Providence was only 4 for 17 from the three-point line. Uh, Alpha Diallo was the only double-figure scorer with 19. Everyone else, hats off, you know, good luck to you. Right. Uh, and... Although they never really grabbed the lead in the last 15 minutes, they led by three early in the second half. Providence spurted and then survived down the stretch. And, you know, this is a team, you know, anyone who watched the game last night, ugh, St. John's, they stink. People, they beat West Virginia, who I believe is in the top five in Ken Palm as we speak. Really good. And beat Arizona. I mean, and believe me, I have no idea how it happened because if you watch St. John's, they don't have an awful lot of offensive talent. But, Mike Anderson is how it happened. You know, really aggressive style of play. Well, you, when coaches get hired, you, you see them go into the press conference and they always talk about, we're going to change the culture. We're going to do things differently and whatever else. I think what you saw at the dunk last night is changing the culture in action. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if Mike Anderson used that exact phrase. I, I didn't watch his introductory press conference, but if you look at the way that St. John's played, you look at the fact that they're third in the nation in steal percentage. Um, you look at how hard they make it on opponents. Um, it's just not really a comfortable night mm. playing against them. And they're not really that good. And you're going to look at them and say, well, they're not really that good. They have Mustafa Heron. They have LJ Figueroa. Those guys could play for a lot of teams. Otherwise, you're not really certain about their roster. But to survive 40 minutes against them, like Providence did, shorthanded, Shorthanded, yeah. Shouldn't be understated the fact that that's a pretty darn good win for the Friars. Well, and, and you know the bottom line, as Ed Cooley said afterwards, is that after the start we have, we had uh, seven and six non-conference. Right. Providence is tied for second in the Big East. Yeah, four they, and one. Four and one, tied with Villanova. A Seton Hall is undefeated at five and zero. Oh. Uh, you know the teams below them right now are really good. You know, and several will be in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, 4-1 and one is 4-1. and one. Uh, And now here comes the test. And now here comes a, a serious gauntlet. And, you know, the, we've talked about the depth of the Big East and, uh, you know, the talent in the Big East. And, and there are other chunks of Providence's schedule that are difficult. But in this little window, you probably can't get any more difficult. At 25th Creighton, Saturday. At Seton Hall, as we said, next week. Uh, they come home to face Villanova, who's nationally ranked. And then they go on the road at Butler, who's in the top ten. Mm. So, I, one of four, two two of four, they should throw a party. Can you win two? Uh, three if, three of four, they can win the league. That's right. That's right. <laughs> they might be in first place if if they win three of four. That's right. It, it, it's uh, it's quite a stretch, and you know this is the time of year where coaches say we just worry about one at a time and. Believe me, they're only worrying about Creighton. You can't look ahead to those games. Well, I mean, here it is. You have four games. They're all going to be quad one games, you figure, at the end of the year. Can you go two and two? Because if you do, you're six and three in the Big East. You've got two more quadrant one wins. You're continuing to rehabilitate that non-conference schedule and mm. how poor it was and a couple of losses that you have there, Long Beach State. Uh, you know, obviously, Charleston. Penn at home. Penn's a good team. We know that. But their metrics aren't going to be there. That's going to be viewed as a bad loss. So Providence... Northwestern. Northwestern as well on the road. Not a good team. There's a, there's a lot of them. But, I, I think but what, Providence yeah. is, is getting to the point where if they can win a couple of these, as we've talked about throughout, they can win a couple of these, somehow end up 6-3, and three, 
not have the bottom fall out in, in what is a very difficult stretch of the schedule, they're going to put themselves in good position going into the second half of the Big East into their last nine games. Well, I think what where Providence wants to be is it's the middle of February. They're looking at a winning record in the Big East. And three of their last four at home. And people are talking about Providence saying, how is this team on the bubble? Right. You know, they lost. We, we just talked about their losses. How is this team on the bubble? And the answer will be, well, we won at Marquette. We beat Butler at, you know, on the road. On the road. Know, Something who, who like knows? that. Who knows? It's impossible to get to uh, 10-8, and 11-7 in the Big East this year without accumulating some really attractive wins. And, uh, you know, it's all about opportunity for the Friars here. J- j- just a little bit uh, <clears throat> on uh, PC. Both A.J. Reeves and uh, Emmett Holt did not play last night. A.J. Mm. Uh, whacked his head in the loss to Butler and has not practiced since. So my guess is he won't play at Creighton. I don't know that. Uh, we'll check in with Ed Cooley on Friday. But you would think if you haven't practiced on Monday, Tuesday, the chance to get back on the floor and get in the lineup for uh, Saturday with a, you know, I wouldn't say a concussion because I don't know if he had a concussion, but um, I would think that they would hold him out. Emmett Holt has a sprained ankle. It's not a high ankle sprain that I know of. Maybe he can get back on the floor. Probably calculated to hold him out against St. John's, mm-hmm. if I had a guess. Probably thinking that you still have a chance to win the game without Emmett Holt, and you, you might want him fresh for Creighton. Uh, A.J. Reeves, I think the better question to ask would be, is he going to travel? Right. Uh, because if he does not, then that's probably a good indication that he does have a concussion and, and is you know trying to get out of the protocol. Uh, they're not going to fly him halfway across the country to Nebraska uh, in theory, True. if he's still battling something like that, so I, I think that's you know something to watch, and you know obviously we've seen the difference that he makes the Marquette game, the three pointer that he made at the end of regulation. There aren't many guys in that roster who can make that shot, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So that's a guy who you need to be cautious with and, and do everything you can to get him healthy for the stretch run. Yeah, they had uh, one, two, three, four, five guys play thirty minutes or more last night. That's tough. It's tough, and especially it'll be especially tough at Creighton because um, they force one of the fastest tempos in the league um, and can score points. You know, St. John's plays at a fast tempo as well, but they can't score. Uh, certainly not as freely as Creighton. So I would think Providence would need all hands on deck and find a way to. 75 points, you know, uh, at Creighton. It's it's funny. Uh, Creighton, since they've been in the league, I think you looked it up today, they've been in the top uh, 50 in adjusted offense every year. Um, yeah, eight out of the last nine. And can really shoot the three, you know, year after year. But that's if you don't guard them. And Providence, uh, I, I distinctly remember a game when Chris Dunn was on the team, very similar, you know, high-scoring Creighton team. Oh, on the road out there. Yeah, and they won like 50-49. to oh, 49. Yeah. yeah, That's what Ed Cooley wants to see unfold on Saturday uh, in Omaha. And sure enough, Creighton has faced some of those games already this year. Uh, you know, putting up huge numbers in the non-conference. They get into league play, and they scored the 57 at Butler. And 59 against Villanova. So, you know, which Creighton team is it? Is it the one that scores 92 against Marquette? Uh, you know, 83 against Oklahoma? 
or 57 uh, against Butler, and I think I know which way Providence you know, wants to see that game unfold. No, I think you have the right idea. You, you need to be physical with Creighton. You need to get up on their shooters. Uh, because if you let them spread the floor and, and run their offense and run the Greg McDermott sets with the spacing and, and you know the, the four-man out and maybe the fifth-man out, you're going to have a long night because I, the Friars, we've talked about this, throughout the year the Friars at times are offensively challenged sure there's no way that they can get into a game with Creighton and win 90 to 87 it is just not happening no uh Providence uh you know continues to struggle offensively uh but defensively no one wants to play them in the Big East and that's why they're four and one and uh you know in position to uh almost shockingly um you know be in position to be a factor uh in late Again, late uh, February, March. Mm. Um, elsewhere around Rhode Island, uh, Bryant had a difficult loss last night at Merrimack, uh, falling to one and three in the uh, Northeast Conference. Uh, have lost some close games, really difficult games. Uh, we'll see if they can bounce back at home against Long Island, a, a pretty good Long Island team. Uh, Saturday, four o'clock up in Smithfield. Uh, Bulldogs need to get going. And then Brown, uh, let's devote a little bit uh, of talk time here to uh, the Bears. Talk with Mike Martin today. Uh, Brown opens the Ivy League at last, by the way. I was going to say, can can you repeat that yeah. for our listeners? Opens the Ivy League schedule Friday at defending champion Yale. And then we'll host Yale a week later. And I said, so my question with Mike was, uh, geez, well, how's Yale? Because you, know, you kind of pay, pay attention, but you don't really. This is how good Yale is, Please, by the way. go right ahead. First of all, I'll crystallize it. They have a much better resume than URI or Providence. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have won at Clemson. They have beaten UMass. Uh, top of my head, they have one other really good win. Vermont. Uh, Vermont. Uh, and they just lost by three at the Dean Dome. Yes. North Carolina plays at the Dean Dome, I believe. The Tar Heels. Uh, Yale played them right to the end. Uh, Yale is 58 on the net, 59 in Ken Palm. Yes. And I believe as the 25th best defense in the country. Correct. That's who Brown needs to play in the first two Ivy League games. (laughs) Really tough. Talk about starting at the top. And, uh, you know, Mike was very, you know, complimentary to James Jones. They've lost uh, four starters from last year's NCAA tournament team. Uh, and yet, they haven't missed a beat. No, that that's just the program that James Jones has built there at Yale. And and I remember when they came in here to the dunk to, uh, for the NCAA tournament, played Baylor and played Duke, mm. uh, beat Baylor. They were in the game with Duke for 32, 33 minutes. Did, and lost by the way, the did they out-rebound Baylor? <laughs> they certainly did. Yes. I thought so. I, I distinctly remember that they, they had a good day off the glass. Could uh, do a web search for that, whether or not Yale out-rebounded out Baylor and uh, see some surprises there. Yes. Any, um, anyways. But that's that's just instilled by James Jones right from the top. I remember seeing him at a coaching clinic uh, at URI maybe three or four years ago, and he was into lecture about rebounding specifically hmm. and did an hour on offensive and defensive rebounding and you know, had a couple of his guys there to demonstrate, and, and it was just – it was fascinating the way that he discussed it in terms of not just what to do physically, but the mentality behind it and, and how to be tough and how to be physical in the lane without fouling and how to use your body. And you know, if you're coaching at Yale, it stands to reason you're, you're going to have some undersized guys who are going to be playing in the front court. 
But you're going to have some guys who are going to be smart enough to uh, you know understand your instructions and, and follow the game plan. Uh, and I just think that, that they do a great job of that year in and year out. And as they've won more and more, he's been able to recruit better and better players. He's got some guys on this roster who could play for just about anybody. Well, and had a, had a pro, uh, first pro drafted – uh, out of the Ivy League in almost 20 years last year in uh, Moni Oni. Me Oni, yeah. Yeah, who went to uh, Utah in the second round. Um, and yet, again, their numbers really are better than they were last year, which is really impressive. Yeah. And then if you look around the league, I, I did a little a little re- re- research, Ivy League research today. Nice. Um, no surprise, Yale, Harvard, Penn, and then Princeton Brown uh, pretty much is the order – in Ken Palm, in the net, the RPI, even the BPI, mm-hmm. and you know Dartmouth a little bit in maybe the fourth, fifth, uh, fifth, sixth range. So th- those seem to be the teams that have separated themselves in the league. And sure enough, that's exactly how things unfolded in the Ivies last year, where Yale, Harvard, Penn, and Princeton, uh, Princeton and Penn, I should say, because Brown ended up tying Penn in for fourth place. Penn won tiebreakers to make the all-important Ivy League tournament. And that's certainly Brown's goal uh, yet again. Uh, And my guess is we'll be talking about this late February, and Brown and Panner Princeton will be right there. Uh, uh, Brown has five of its first six games at home. Uh, So it's very important for uh, the Bears to get off to a good start. Mm. Yeah, really. Very front-loaded schedule. That, that seems odd. Yeah, very odd. Um, they get into a lot a, of odd things in the Ivy League. They, they get into a point in the middle of the season, starting on Valentine's Day, where they play four in a row on the road. Uh, which And finish on the road, I believe. Uh, right. Two home and then two away at Harvard, at Dartmouth. You, you don't want to leave you don't want to leave the season to chance going up to Cambridge and, and then trying to go up to Dartmouth. That's, that's one of the tougher weekends, I would imagine. Uh, you know, just going to New Hampshire in March seems kind of cool. Well, they ended last year at Penn and Princeton. Yeah, it's just, just brutal. And sure enough, tough. you know, lost. Actually, well, I can't recall. I know that they lost to Penn in a kind of winner-take-all game to end the season, which is a tough way to finish. But uh, beat Princeton and lost to Penn by seven. There That's you go. Correct. So made that last game interesting. That was it. So uh, we'll see what Brown can do out of the gate against the um, defending champs and uh, – Best team in the Ivy, uh, Yale, Friday night down at uh, John Lee Amphitheater. So, uh, Bill, that's it. Uh, it's been a busy week. We've juggled both college basketball and uh, Alex Cora. Oh, the Red Sox, yes. <laughs> Not that we want to talk Alex Cora oh. here on the podcast, but I, <laughs> I know sucks. that uh, you're, you're polishing up your baseball acumen and you're going to be uh, on a podcast with Bill Corey and the two Bills, uh, maybe even later today. So, yeah, the so Twin I Bills to... will uh, we'll have a special off-season edition of the Twin Bills uh, that will be coming out probably on Friday. And uh, I know you wrote about Kyle Bloom and the um, – you know the challenges that he has here as a as a first year mm. uh, executive leading his own baseball operation. The the challenges that he could have never seen coming, trying to hire a manager. Good luck. Uh, it, it's really just tough times at Fenway. I was I was watching the press conference uh, on the train down to Philly, and it was it was just fascinating theater as usual mm. in Boston. That's it. So any uh, pick and pop fans uh, who like baseball, please. Uh, give the Twin Bills a listen as well. One last thing before we sign off. Uh, yeah. A public congratulations to Kevin McNamara, oh, no. the State Sports Writer of the Year, according to the National 
what what is the what is the official I think title? It's the National Sports National Sports, sports Media, Media Association. Association. Yes, yes. Yes. Well, Kevin McNamara, your sports writer of the year, folks. I appreciate it, uh, Mr. Koch, and a lot of our other friends uh, around the state. I've also. Uh, won this award, and uh, it's always flattering. And uh, all I'll say is, and I should have done more of this online. I, I, tip of a hat uh, to our overworked desk at nighttime. Yes, uh, Mark Castingay, Bill Corey, uh, Steve, cast, uh, r- cast r- r- really cast a lot of guys. Really, who, they they make us look good. We're finally Kathy Hill, Kathy certainly. Hill. Um, we're we're filing stuff at crazy hours from crazy places, uh, and make plenty of mistakes that they thankfully uh, clean up and make us all look good. So, uh, will you be attending in June? Uh, you could have a travel partner, Ruthie Polinski, the uh, yeah, the television winner. To uh, uh, I think her first. Yeah, congrats to Ruthie. I, I hope she can get down to uh, North Carolina. Uh, that weekend is the U.S. Senior Open at Newport Country Club. Is it really? Oh, well, how about that? So that will take precedence. Uh, there's a chance that I could slip down, I guess, for uh, a banquet or whatnot. No, no, no. But, uh, we we need we need a practice round. We need a first-person oh, oh, story. Don't worry, don't worry about that. A practice round from Kevin Mack at Newport Country and Club. And Bill Koch. Well, the, the media day, I'm sure there will be a media day in May, June, or July, and we'll be there. No question. Yes. Uh, Signing off on the Pick and Pop. We'll see everybody next week.